right. Hey, good morning, everybody. I can see that my, my mentorship training for ministry of Pastor Scott is, is progressing nicely because you give him a microphone and he will not stop until <laughs> he sees me over in the corner going, that, just, that's, that's enough. That's enough. We need to have some time left. But I get it. There's, there's so much going on here that literally we could sit up and we're just so passionate about all the things that happen here. We could just talk forever about, I don't want you to miss these things. It's not like we need you, we need bodies to fill spots. It's a blessing to be able to serve. And what we're trying to relay is just our heart that what a blessing it is to be able to serve the body of Christ and to serve others. And we try to make every way that we can to do that. And we just don't want anybody to miss anything. So when you hear the announcements, don't just think, ah, they just need us to to do this or to do that. We want you to receive the blessing of being able to serve. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So, hey, um, welcome if you're out there online, wherever you are in the world, whatever time and space uh, that you're at. If you're new here, welcome. I see a few new faces. And if I didn't get a chance to say hi to you, um, I apologize. We're running around sometimes and I miss it. But I will be around for at least two hours. We're doing the Thanksgiving pantry uh, after service. I'll have plenty of time to talk. So um, please stop, stop by. I'd, I'd love to be able to talk to you and, and answer any questions that you might have. Um, it's appropriate that Pastor Tom was talking about prayer today and that we kind of kicked off our new. We sat down last week and, and talked about trying to introduce this this idea of let's just get prayer more up front. Let's just get it more as a normal part of what we do. So we talked about mixing up our service structure a little bit to where we do a little bit of worship as everybody's walking in, just to kind of set, just to get the junk of the world off of you. How, how long does it take some of you once you get in from the parking lot and you've fought the kids to get them in the car and you forgot you had to get gas, so you have to do that, and you're running late, and then you're like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do... How long does it take once you walk in this building to just get your heart in the right place, just to settle down to where you can hear and you can receive? I mean, to me, when all this noise and chaos is going on, it's impossible for me. So it takes a while. And so I'm glad that we're doing that. We're doing that song up front. So I want to urge you, try. I know it's hard. It's hard enough already. But try to get here just a little bit on the early side. Take that time to just soak in the worship. And if you want, you know, we're, we're doing prayer in the back end now of service, and we're going to do that again today. We're going to gather up front here and just pray specifically for the church, our church and the church worldwide. That's our specific prayer there. But when we pray up front, it's just to settle our hearts, just to set the atmosphere, just to set the tone for what we're doing. And we'd love to have you join us. So if you're here early enough and you see us up here doing that, don't say, well, I'm just going to leave them alone. We, moved, we used to do that in the office. I'm like, why are, we, why are we doing that in there? Let's come out here. Let's get everybody who wants to be involved, involved. So you're welcome to join us if you want. Don't have to, but it's just a great way to just get your mind right. So, and, and I need that. So more than anybody, I need to get my mind right. Um, <clears throat> but we're talking about uh, talking about introducing more prayer, and that's what the message today is about. This is the last message in the whole Ephesians series, which we called One Church, One Mission, One Jesus. Um, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I, I hope you've learned a lot. I hope now uh, when you hear about the, Paul's letter or his epistle to the Ephesians, you're like, 
I know what he was saying to them. I know what he was, the point that he was trying to make, and I know how important it is. And so I, I hope that you've taken that away because uh, we've really, we've dived pretty deep. This is number 21 in the message um, in Ephesians, and Ephesians is only six chapters. So we, we, we kind of dug deep. Now, there are churches, I'll tell you, who take a year or more to go through a book like this. So you're welcome that, that we're moving a little bit, a little bit faster than that. Um, but this is the last one in the series, and, and it's so... To me, it's just encouraging, and I've, I said this last week, to know that the things that we're going through today, you look around the world and things just look out of control, and, and not a day goes by that I don't look at the news and go, how can people let this happen and not see the evil behind it or not see the agenda behind it? Um, but it's been going on forever. And so when I stop and take a step back and go, you know, it's not... It's not the liberals or the conservatives or, the, or, or this or that that is the enemy. That's, that's not what it is. It's the enemy of our soul. It's Satan, him and his schemes and the lies and the techniques and the tactics and the tricks and everything that he's been using are the same since the beginning of time. We see all the way back to the Garden of Eden where that very first indication, now God knew there was going to be a problem all along. It didn't catch him by surprise. So, so Jesus and everything is not God's plan B. But he uses us to accomplish what he does. And that's our great blessing to participate in what he does. Because he doesn't need us. He blesses us by letting us help I just get this picture. I don't know, maybe this will resonate more with guys. I spent much of my childhood helping my dad in the garage. My dad didn't need me to hold that wrench or to hand him that hammer. He let me do it. And as a little three-year-old, I'm like, we're changing an engine in his race car. This is awesome. And I did that. And really what I did is stand there and go like, hand me that wrench, hand me this screwdriver. He didn't need me but it was my blessing to be able to feel like I was a part of something that he was doing. And so maybe many of you had different situations like that, but, but our Father uses us in his kingdom for our benefit as well. Going all the way back to the garden, like I said, Genesis 3.15, when the snake tricked Eve into taking the apple, lied to her, said, it's okay, it's going to be just fine. Go ahead. You'll know the things that God knows. Who doesn't want to know all those things? And then when that happened, the Lord chastised the snake, chastised Eve. And he said this, I will make enemies of you and the woman and your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's called the Proto-Evangelium, which means it's the first indication, the first promise we had that there was going to be good news to come, that the good news of Christ was coming. So it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't, it wasn't when, when Jesus arrived on earth. It wasn't um, the first time anybody had an indication that something like this was going to happen. That was a promise from the very beginning, the promise of not only a battle to come, but a savior to fight that battle with us. That's why it's important. 
And so when we go into this final passage, I don't know why I'm pointing at the screen, there's nothing happening there right now, but there will be in just a second. As we go into this final passage, um, Paul wraps up this entire letter and a lot of translations, actually, you know, we talked about the armor of God the last couple of weeks, really going into each individual piece. And if you missed it and you want to catch it, you can go back online and catch those last two messages. Um, but this last part, some translations break this off into like the final prayer and blessing. Um, but some of them include this part in the armor of God part. And I think that that's really more appropriate. When we talk about armor of God, we talk about the shield and the sandals and the and the breastplate and the helmet. We talk about all those things, but then Paul goes into this last passage. He's just carefully explained each piece of armor, each piece, what it does, how to use them. And we've even spent time learning how if your armor needs help, here's how to recognize it and here's what to do. But then the last piece he talks about is the only piece, if you remember, that's the offensive. It's an offensive weapon when he talks about the sword of the spirit, right? And all the defensive parts of the armor, the breastplate, the sandals, all those things will help you stand against the attacks of the enemy. And that is critically important because they are definitely coming your way. But we're also given the one last weapon in his list that's meant for offensive use. It's meant to go fight. So don't you think it would be important that we know how to use it? Not only how to use it, when it's appropriate to use it, when you need to use it. Couldn't we hurt somebody if we used such a powerful weapon the wrong way at the wrong time? Paul's an expert at knowing this. He dealt with the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee, knowing the law inside and out, backwards and forwards, and yet doing so much damage by being legalistic and applying it in a way that brought death instead of life. There's a famous quote that says this. I made a little slide. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that's applied. It, it's attributed to various people uh, generally this guy back in the 17th century, but how true it is. And I would expand that specifically to Christians. Evil triumphs when Christians do nothing. And you can sit here and you can rail at the world and we can curse the darkness and say, isn't it crazy the things that are going on? But what are we doing about it? Are we just pointing out the fact that the world is crazy? Congratulations. Congratulations. It's like knowing the sun comes up. If we do nothing about it, then evil runs rampant. We know technically evil doesn't win in the end. Thank you, Jesus. That evil doesn't win in the end. But we may live our entire lives in a world that is overrun with evil. And if we look at that logic, shouldn't we then always address sin and error head on. If you see sin, if you see error, shouldn't we always just bull in a china shop, just rush in there and just start whacking people in the head with the truth? No. 
Some of you are like, yeah. But my point is no. Paul did that. Paul did that. Most of his life he did that. And he saw what death it brought. So we need to understand that there's more to that. Paul even wrote that idea when he was writing the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 6. I'll just read it to you. He says, such is the confidence that we have toward God through Christ, not that we are adequate in ourselves so as to consider anything as having come from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He's talking about the law as it had been given thousands of years before that. All of the Mosaic law, all of the Torah, everything that good Jews at that time would study and know backwards and forwards and inside out, It's not that that kills, it's the application of it in the wrong way that kills. Paul understood that better than most. Can you think of a time, just think of a time in your life, we're not going to take time to share it, but think of a time in your life where somebody spoke truth to you, but at the wrong time, the wrong place, and the wrong way, and it just hurt. It just did damage. So the truth, the truth is always the truth. I'm not talking about lies and evil things and misquotes. I'm talking about truth spoken in the wrong way at the wrong time. It can be damaging. And so if we're going to be effective in the kingdom, doing what God has called us to do, we need to use this powerful weapon that we're given the right way at the right time. It doesn't mean always rushing in. We definitely need to talk a little bit more in depth about this final essential piece of a spiritual, uh, of a Christian's spiritual armor. How to know what kind of battle you're in and when to use the sword of the Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the quick answer is prayer. That's the quick answer. We've talked a lot about prayer over the years. Everybody's heard things about prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. Let's not overcomplicate it. It's just talking to God. But in this context, communication with God is critical to be an effective servant, to be an effective soldier in his army. And it can be the difference between victory and defeat. Life and death in many times. It's especially true when we're talking about soldiers hearing the direct word of their commander, hearing the guidance of their commander. And again, as a Christian, our commander is Christ himself. But in modern warfare, communication is so much better than it used to be. The Romans used to use, if you go back to the Roman army, and the Roman army was at that time especially the most well-organized, powerful force that had ever existed on earth at that time. And they used various means to communicate with each other, to carry instructions from headquarters. They used, number one, runners. So in the middle of a battle, they would literally give a message to a runner and say, run through all this fire 
all of these enemies and go give that message to the person that needs it. What could possibly go wrong, right? (laughs) Then they used bonfires. They would put fires on the top of hillsides, which really only worked at night, and then they would somehow use that to signal. Sometimes they'd pour water on it to make steam and smoke and all kinds of random things. Again, full of problems. They would use signal mirrors, waving signal flags. How many of you know if you're standing in a battle waving a signal flag, you are now a target? (laughs) Had so many drawbacks. Here's one of the most effective ones. This is a trumpet. It's a signal trumpet. He would stand up there with this crazy thing and blow kind of like Morse code almost, a code that they would do. Again, guy's kind of a little bit of a target. If you know, if I take him out, I'm ruining their communication. Each type had its own drawbacks. Modern armies have GPS and satellite and almost down to the individual soldier level, they have real-time communication wherever they need it. They can literally look on a handheld device and see aerial views of what's going on around them. It's the next best thing to being in the room with your commander when it works. But like everything else, there are times when it doesn't work. Now, to use that illustration, Paul tells Timothy, he uses the words, we are to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. This whole military theme, like we're all working together for a common goal against a common enemy, is very appropriate when we talk about this. But we are only formidable as a force because he is formidable. And we only have power when we are alongside and in his power. That's the only time. So we're going to talk about the power of prayer. Ephesians 6, 18 to 24 is going to be the section that we're in. Like I've always done, I'm going to read this for you. And then we're going to go back and we're going to kind of take it apart a little bit more. So Ephesians 6, 18 to 24, I'm in the New American Standard, NASB. If you have a different translation, it might read slightly differently. But follow along. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. And pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, so that you may also know about my circumstances as to what I'm doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. So that's the end. That's how Ephesians ends. So we're going to take this apart and look at it a little bit and just make sure that we are taking everything that Paul has taught up until now, all of his teachings in Ephesians, and it boils all together to something that gives us our action step. Because if we know all these things, but we don't have like, how does that apply in my life? then we haven't really done much. So let's look at it. Ephesians 6.18, with every prayer and request, 
Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert with all perseverance in every request for the saints. So there's a few different things he's asking them to do right here. Number one, pray when? At all times. Pray at all times. He wrote that to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean just whenever things are out of control, whenever you need help. It means all the time. Pray without ceasing. The second one, pray in the Spirit. So remember, we were talking about the sword of the Spirit and what the sword of the Spirit is in the armor of God. It's a direct word from the Holy Spirit for a specific situation, often to help you apply a specific scripture to that situation. I found this, I modified the quote a little bit, but the idea didn't come from Ryberane. I wish it did. Prayer expresses a need that we're unable to satisfy. It's an acknowledgement that we live in total dependence upon the Lord. Prayer expresses a need that we are unable to satisfy. That's why we give it to the Lord, because it needs to happen. We pray that it happens, but we can't figure it out on our own. That's why we give it to him. The third thing, the third part in that is be alert, right? Be alert. Now, it's a different word than is used when it says, be alert and on guard, your enemy is prowling like a roaring lion. We've heard that, right? This is the same word that Mark uses when he's talking about Christ returning. It's the same version of that word, be alert. Mark 13, 31 to 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. That's the version of the word alert, be alert, stay alert. And so with that in mind, Paul says this. He, he tells them to pray this for him. Ephesians 6.19, and pray in my behalf. He's asking for them to pray for him. That speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So Paul's just asking them, pray for me. Now what's missing? Leave that up there for a second. What's missing from his prayer request? Now think of and remember his, his circumstances. He's in jail. Prison, it says, but he's in, in house arrest. He is chained 24-7 literally to a Roman Praetorian guard. He never has a moment alone. <laughs> Paul has had a lot going on. And what does he pray for? What's missing? He never asked to be released from prison. Wouldn't that be like one of our first things? He never asks to be healed of the various afflictions that he's got going on. He says this, Ephesians 6.20, for which I'm an ambassador of change that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. His prayer in the middle of his circumstance is for boldness in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know it was effective because other scriptures say, hey, even, even my Roman guards who were chained to me, <laughs> thinking they were controlling me somehow, were overhearing all of this ministry I was doing, all of this truth I was speaking. 
And even some of them are being converted. So he's like, help me, help me to do that job better. He doesn't ask to be released. How many of you, when writing from jail, most of us have been in jail, right? Just, just, just me? Okay. <laughs> it's a long story. How many of you, when writing from jail under a hostile regime, would pray only that you were empowered to speak the gospel more boldly? Most of us, I think, if we're honest, it would be, first, get me out. And then, if you do that, I'll go share the gospel for you. Most of us would have a give and take. Paul just says, Give me boldness so that I can share who you are. I love that. And that's the very essence of Paul and his ministry. Now, the Holy Spirit did give me this. It's, it's what I think boils down Paul and his ministry, and it's this quote, let the Holy Spirit empower me to do things I could never do in places I could never do them for people I could never do them with. How many pray something like that in their lives? Empower me to do the things I could never do in places I could never do them with people I could never do them with. This is the essence of Paul's ministry, really. And he finishes up this letter to the Ephesians just so that I can, can make sure that we cover all the scriptures. Just a blessing that he leaves them with. Ephesians 6.23, Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and with love, with faith, from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. So I want to go back and look at this really quickly. The circumstances that Paul finds himself in make what he's writing all the more powerful. The circumstances he finds himself in. We've all seen this. First, there's this mysterious thorn. Anybody ever heard of that? This idea that Paul just says, hey, I, I was afflicted with this thorn. I'll read it for you, in fact. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, for this reason, keep me from exalting myself. And to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weakness, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. By the way, anybody ever think about the thorn? When Paul says, I have this thorn, this as a messenger of Satan, I think that's a little bit hyperbolic there rather than, than literal. But the word thorn there, I always picture, you know, the, the little, you step on a thorn and, oh, it's, it's, it's irritating, like, like a lion with a, with a thorn in its paw or maybe a splinter. Anybody here ever get a splinter like in your, like, ah, it's just irritating. That word, thorn, in reality is the Greek word scallops, 
and it means a pointed stake. Okay, it's a, it's a stake. It's damaging. This is what Paul's talking about. It's no little irritating splinter. This is something that's, that's debilitating and damaging to him. So not only is he dealing with that, then if we remember back at the beginning, he's arrested in Rome, and he is, they don't know what to do with him, so they put him on a, or arrested in Jerusalem, that is, I'm sorry, arrested in Jerusalem. They don't know what to do with him, so they put him on a ship and send him to Rome, mostly because he's smart and he kind of traps him into having to do that. But this ship ends up getting caught in a storm. Storm's so bad that for three days, they don't see the sun. The crew is panicking. The guards are panicking. The crew's fearing for their lives, and Paul goes to him and he says, look, you guys are lucky I'm with you because God told me he's taken me to Rome. An angel of the Lord literally told me that. So you guys, you're going to be okay. Stick with me. He's telling this to his captors who are taking him to Rome to be imprisoned. Then after that, he's shipwrecked, literally shipwrecked on what we know as Malta, but for three months before finally then he's able to make himself to Rome, where he then is immediately placed under house arrest, chained to a Roman Praetorian guard for 24-7. Paul might have been a little justified in praying for a break, do you think? But he didn't do that. And that's where our lesson comes in. We have to remember this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are never promised that life is going to be easy. In fact, we are promised just the opposite. John 16:33, Jesus says, "These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome the world." Jesus doesn't say, "Follow me and you'll have peace and a smooth road everywhere you go." He says just the opposite to that. And then remember also that we're never promised that people are going to like us or listen to us. Just the opposite. John 15, 18 to 19. Again, Jesus, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. We're promised Life is going to be hard. We're promised people are going to hate us. Sign me up, right? We have a clipboard in the foyer. The thing that sets us apart and the thing that brings glory to God, because that's our primary mission, is to make Christ known and to bring all the glory to God. And the thing that sets us apart and the thing that lets us do that is not how we're able to do good and think good thoughts and serve people and and behave ourselves when everything's going our way. It's how we reflect Christ and his righteousness when you're hurting, when people hurt you, when your ships run aground, when you find yourself captive in a place where you don't want to be. It's easy to have unity with others who agree with you. It's not difficult to love your neighbor when your neighbor is particularly lovable. 
fighting the lies and schemes of Satan is not that hard when the attacks are obvious. Many of us, even the most new Christian can look and go, that's obviously Satan doing that. It's the tricky ones that are hard. And it's easy to have peace when you can clearly see the path ahead. I tell, you, I tell myself this every single day when we're doing church finances, when we're looking at the future, what growth looks like, and all these different things. Like, Lord, help me to have peace because I don't see a path. I know there is one, and I know you know it. And that's the trick, is to have peace when you don't see a path ahead. Facing adversity well, with a clear, absolutely rock-solid, unshakable sense that there is a mission larger than yourself, and you're a part of it, is only possible when you surrender yourself to Christ. It's only possible. You have to set aside your agenda, your plans, and take his agenda as yours. Because he's the one that's overcome the world. And when we become one with him, then we are unstoppable. I'll leave you now. The last thing in the series. Look at this, my gift to you. We're going to finish early. Again, you're welcome. I'll leave you with the same blessing that Paul spoke over the church in Ephesus. Not the one he just ended with. All the way back in chapter 2, the first 10 verses of chapter 2, to me, just in, they entirely illustrate what Paul is trying to say to them. So I want you to hear this, okay? You can follow along if you want, but just listen to it. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among them, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in all the ages to come he might show us the boundless riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. If you remember nothing else, remember that you are created for something greater than yourself. You are created for something better than what you see in front of your eyes. God has a purpose and a plan for you, and the only way for us to use all the power, all the authority, all the responsibility that God has given us is to be connected to him. Because without that connection, without that connection, we are just loose cannons running around this world doing just as much good as we do harm, if we're lucky. 
So we talk about prayer all the time. We have a prayer team in the back. Look for them. They'll be wearing a lanyard. More often than not, I will tell you, I look back there and I see that they're not engaged with anybody. They didn't wake up this morning, say, I'm going to go to church, put on the lanyard, and I hope nobody bothers me. (laughs) They did that, and they do that every single time because they want to stand there with you, shoulder to shoulder with you, and help you hear the word of the Lord for you. That's what they do that for. And so when you see them back there, don't say, I don't want to bother them, they're busy. They're there for you. That's what they do. So I encourage you to, as we run around, uh, run around, as we move around, (laughs) simmer down. There'd be no running in church. (laughs) As we take communion, take advantage of those prayer warriors back there. Go back there. Pray with them. And if you don't want to do that, pray with each other. Even if you just take a minute and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Because a lot of us, are out of the habit of doing that. Maybe there's some of us who have never even done that. Lord, I want your direction today. You have blessed me. You have brought me to this place. You've put me as a part of this body. I am here. Lord, let me just go on with my list for today. No, we should set that aside and say, Lord, what's your list for today? Where do you want me? What should I do? That's what prayer is. And if we don't take advantage of it, then we've just come here and we've learned a lot of things and then we can go home feeling good that we learned a lot of things. But did we make a difference in the world? We do that by allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to let us do things we never thought we could do for people that we never thought we could do them with. That's what it's about. That should be our prayer. Amen. Father, let's... Let's go into this world and do your will. Let's do what you have called us to do. Not what we think is best, but what you know is best. So Lord, I pray that you lead us into places where we have no choice but to rely on you. Lead us into places where our wisdom and our abilities and our power are completely ineffective. That's a hard prayer so that we have to rely on you. Because when we do, you are faithful, and we know that. We know that when we come to you, you are faithful and you are good. So let us see that. Let us feel the Holy Spirit guiding us. Let us know that we're in your will, and let us know that by the things we do, we glorify you in our every thought, our every action. Help us to find those places where we can give you glory. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion right now. And if you're new here and you haven't taken communion with us before, you don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to go through anything special. You just have to be able to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. He is my Savior. And he is why I'm here. If you can say that, we invite you to take communion with us. The way we do it here, at the back we have a self-serve table which has juice and, uh, and uh, bread and gluten-free crackers. And up front here, we will be serving wine if you want to be served. We have one station there, one station here. So you just come down the middle and go off to the sides. Take time, though, to do it prayerfully. 
Let's do it prayerfully. Let's take time to pray with people in the back. Let's take time to pray for one another and get some direction and some guidance, not just check an event off of our list so that we can go on with our day. Let's be intentional about tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit to let us do things we could never thought we'd do. Amen? Thank you, guys.